So today we're in part two of our series, Better For It. And the truth is we're all kind of ready to get back to normal or maybe some version of normal or a lot of people are referring to as the new normal. I think we would all agree that to get back to normal and not have uh, gained anything from this past experience would really be a shame. In fact, pain without gain is always a shame, isn't it? So if we're wise and if we'll pause long enough to ask the question, how can we be better for it? Now, we're going to do a little bit of a deep dive today because simply wanting or simply intending to be better for this means that nothing may happen as a result because simply wanting or intending or wishing doesn't require anything of us and it won't bring about any change. For there to be actual change, you have to engage with the question and specifically to be better for what we have just come through and to be better for what we're currently going through, you have to engage your superpower. That's right. You have a superpower. Here's, here's your superpower. It is the innate ability that empowers you to be better for anything that comes your way. Now, you know this. Uh, we have no control over what life throws at us, right? Think about the last six months. Social distancing was for people like me, introverts. Six months ago, kids were throwing toilet paper into trees. Six months ago, if your mom heard that you'd miss church for you know eight to nine weeks, she'd be convinced that you're going to hell, right? So much has changed. We didn't choose this crisis. It, it feels like it actually chose us. But here's the thing. It left us with choices. And this is where your superpower comes in. This is where your superpower it, it kind of explodes. In fact, as we begin to talk about this, it, we're going to uh, remind you a little bit maybe of your history. Your superpower actually empowers you to turn bad things into good things. It empowers you to turn wrong things into right things. It has the power to reverse the course of your life. But your superpower and the ability that we all have is easy to miss during times of crisis. And if you lose sight of it, especially in times of adversity, uh, chances are you become a victim. But if you engage your superpower, you'll be better for it. And you'll be better for it every in every single arena of your life. Now, this is the superpower. It's really, it's so simple. It's our ability to respond or our respond ability. Our ability to choose a response rather than simply react to circumstances, rather than having it dictated to us by our circumstances or having it dictated to us because uh, um, oh, this is how people typically respond in circumstances, rather than having it dictated to us because this is what's been modeled for us. Reacting actually sets us up to become a reflection. Reacting to circumstances just sets us up to become a reflection of the things that we despise. Reacting just sets us up to become a reflection of the people that we don't respect and to react, and maybe this is the heartbreaking part, to simply react to circumstances causes us to relinquish our power and to relinquish, relinquish our destiny and certainly to relinquish and give up on our legacy. But the right response, a thoughtful response, uh, if you're a Christian, a faith-filled response has the power to redeem pain and suffering. And as I said earlier, it actually has the power, we're going to see this in our story today, to reverse the course of a life. Your superpower is why you can be better for it, regardless of whatever it is. The catalytic response, the response that has the power to turn things around in a life, or as we're going to see today in our family or even a nation, it's not the intuitive response. And that's why we miss it. And to be honest, this is why we're talking about it right now. But, but here's what I don't want you to miss. This is the life you've been invited into, whether you're a person of faith or not. But, but if you are a person of faith, if you are a Jesus follower, this is certainly the life that you've been invited into, the life where you choose your response or opposed to simply reacting to the circumstances around you, the way that everybody else acts, the way that your family reacts, the way that uh, you're expected to react. 
the history of our faith, especially if you're a Christian, is actually populated by men and women who responded to hardship in the most unexpected, unnatural, really, uh, to use this word again, catalytic ways. They made catalytic decisions. At the epicenter of our faith stands a man who, sur who surrendered to his enemies, who chose not to defend himself on, at his trial, who chose not to save himself. And as a result, he saved others. He saved you and he saved me. And the point of this is never underestimate the power of a measured response. Now, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about one biblical character that modeled this in a remarkable way. And, and the part that makes this story so remarkable is that he modeled this for over 20 years. In fact, this story is about 30 years long. And, and, and we're going to kind of begin at the conclusion of the story because it illustrates the sanity-preserving, course-reversing power of a measured response. We're going to begin at the end. As soon as I read the end of the story, most of you are going to go, oh, I know that story. So I want you to do me a favor. I want you to try to mentally and emotionally not rush to the end of the story because this story of this man's life intersects with our lives in many ways. But, but there are two ways in particular that it intersects with our lives. I, I don't want us to miss this. The problem with knowing the end of the story is that we kind of extract ourselves from the story. We miss the point of the story. So here's how this really epic story ends. It ends with the hero of the story making this statement. It's a very familiar statement. You've heard it before. You intended to harm me. You intended to harm me. And the you in the story, especially if you know the story, the you in the story were the power brokers, right? The odds were in their favor. They held the cards. The cards were completely stacked against the hero in the story. They had evil in their hearts. In fact, they created circumstances that generally transformed victims into perpetrators. They created a set of circumstances that generally caused the innocent to take on the characteristics and the character of the guilty, but not this time. The hero says, you intended to harm me but God intended it for good. And God's intentions in this story become a reality through one man's catalytic, unexpected responses to circumstances that we can't even begin to imagine. Responses, and this is so important, which don't seem to matter at the time. No single response made any visible, noticeable, practical difference at the time. But every single one of his responses, when taken together, were critical to the unfolding of your faith and mine. Now, you know the story, but here's the backstory. One of the greatest stories ever told. About 2000 BC, God wades into the mess of the sinful world by calling out a man named Abram. We would know him later as Abraham. And he says to Abraham, I want you to leave everything because I'm going to start over. You're going to become the father of many nations. And through one of these nations, I, God, am going to bless the entire world. And if you know the story, eventually Abraham has a son, Isaac, and Isaac has a son, Jacob, and Jacob has 12 sons, which would eventually become the 12 tribes or, or the, the nation of Israel. But this entire enterprise would dangle by a thread, and this is amazing, of a series of catalytic responses by one of Jacob's sons. And of course, that son is Joseph. Joseph was Jacob's favorite son by Jacob's favorite wife, which is kind of a story in and of itself. But because he was his favorite son, his 10 older brothers didn't like Joseph. Now, part of the reason was, was this. Jacob sort of protected Joseph from, from his brothers, but from time to time, he would send Joseph out to, to his brothers to see how his brothers were doing, to kind of check up on them. And from time to time, he would come back with not such a favorable report. So on this particular occasion <clears throat> that sets up the story, Joseph is approaching his brothers. You know, they see him coming from miles away. <clears throat> They're tending sheep. And as they see him coming, they begin to talk about Joseph. And by the time Joseph gets to the campsite, they've decided they're done. 
So they take Joseph and they strip him of his clothes. They throw him into an empty cistern. They're trying to decide what to do with him, whether they should let him die of natural causes or kill him. Because you know, we're just done with this guy. And then the story takes a strange twist. And we'll pick up right here. This is in the book of Genesis. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother Joseph and cover up his blood? Like, let's kind of profit from this. Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites, slave traders, and not lay our hands on him. After all, and this is where a little thread of mercy might sneak into the story. After all, he is our brother, right? Our own flesh and blood. So they sell Joseph to slave traders. They lied to their father, Jacob, and said that Joseph was killed by wild animals and they break their father's heart. The story continues though. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Now here's where we need to kind of pause for a moment because this is where Joseph's story perhaps begin to intersect, intersect rather with our story. Nobody is looking for Joseph. And worse, nobody's looking out for Joseph. And perhaps that might be how you feel right now. Nobody's looking for you and nobody's looking out for you, or so it would seem. And this is where Joseph's story takes a hard kind of right turn, right? Then then the surprise. But the Lord was with Joseph. And this, this creates a problem for some versions of our Christianity, doesn't it? In fact, this may be the reason you left faith. This may be the reason you left your Christian faith specifically because of suffering in the world. Maybe not even just suffering in the world, maybe even more specifically suffering in your family. Maybe your own suffering. Maybe it was just something you couldn't reconcile. And I get that. You couldn't reconcile the idea of a good loving God with pain and suffering in the world or maybe pain and suffering in your world because the way that we think about God is that you know if God's for us, then things work out for us. But that's not the God of the Christian scriptures. It's certainly not the God of the New Testament. Over and over and over again, we find men and women who faced extraordinary adversity and discovered that God was with them in it and that God was with them through it. So back to the story. The Lord was with Joseph, but luck was not with Joseph. Prosperity was not with Joseph. Justice wasn't with Joseph. Fairness wasn't with Joseph. But Joseph was like you and like me. He had a superpower. He had the ability to respond rather than react. And Joseph chose to respond as if God was in fact with him. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. But don't read too much into this because he didn't personally prosper. When his master Potiphar saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything that he did, which means Potiphar kind of noticed that everything Joseph did worked out for the good. And the reason that everything Joseph did worked out for the good was because he did everything he could, right? He was responsible. He responded not as somebody who had been uh, um, sold into slavery. He responded as if perhaps God was in fact with him. So Joseph found favor in his eyes and he became his attendant. Essentially, Joseph becomes Potiphar's administrative assistant, and he's put in charge of just about everything. And this sounds good, but here's what you need to understand. In ancient times, if you were born free, if you were born not a slave, that was like the greatest privilege you could have. In ancient times, to be born rich and to become poor, that would be bad. But to be born free and to wake up one day as a slave, you had lost everything. You had lost the game of life. And whatever God had chosen, uh, you had chosen the, the wrong God. Potiphar put him in charge of his household. And he entrusted to his care everything he owned. But, but, but here's the gotcha. The Lord blessed not Joseph, but the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. Which makes us want to ask why. Why not bless Joseph? 
But in spite of that, Joseph continued to respond as if God was with him. In fact, Joseph models for us something extraordinary. He responded as if God was with him when it looked as if God had abandoned him. This is so amazing, and here's why. Unlike us, Joseph has no scripture. He has no Bible. In fact, Joseph has no religious literature at all. There are no miracles. There are no voices. There's no angels appearing at his bedside saying, hang in there, Joseph. God is with you. You're going to get through this. Joseph had none of the advantages that we have when it comes to enduring faith. Joseph just decided that he was going to live in light of the stories that Jacob, his father, had told him about Isaac, his grandfather, and Abraham, his great-grandfather. He decided to respond as if God was with him, which brings me to this. And we're going to come back to this a couple of times today. We're going to come back to this again next week as well. This is the question, and I hope this series will cause you to wrestle to the ground because this is the life-changing question. How would someone in your circumstances respond if they, like Joseph, were confident that God was with them? How would someone who is like you, who found themselves in, in circumstances like your circumstances, respond if, like Joseph, they were absolutely confident that God was with them? And when I say circumstances, it may mean your entire life circumstances, or it may be a particular area that, that you're going through right now. Maybe it's just a, a one-time adversity. Maybe it's something with your family, finances, job, relationship. How would someone respond who, who was absolutely confident that God was with them? The reason this is such an important question is that your answer to this question is your invitation to exercise your superpower. It's your invitation to respond rather than react. Never ever underestimate the power of a measured response. You have no idea what hangs in the balance of your decision to respond rather than to react to the events and the circumstances that you didn't choose. Now, if you know this story, you'll remember what happens next. It doesn't, doesn't get better. It actually gets worse. And not only does it get worse, it, it, it gets like ridiculously complicated. Because what happens next is Joseph finds himself in a no-win situation that regardless of which way he responds, there's no way out. Here's what happened. Now, Joseph was kind of a well-built, handsome man. And this is where the soundtrack might change a little bit. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Now understand this was not seduction. This was, this was an order. This was a command. Joseph belonged to her. He is her property. And he's in a no-win situation. If he rejects the request of his master, he'll be punished. If he says yes and uh, Potter finds out that, that uh, he did this, he'll be punished. Which, no matter which way he responds, it's not going to go well for him. C clearly, no matter what he does, Joseph is in a tough spot. But Joseph responds in, in, in this, this absolutely incredible way. But, but I think it causes us to kind of ask the question, like, why? Why even try Joseph? In Joseph's case, there's no potential for a happy ending. Not only will he not be better for it, he knows he'll probably be dead for it. But in spite, Joseph deploys his superpower, and the text says this. But he refused. And here's what he told Potiphar's wife. With me in charge, and he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in his house. Everything he owns, he is entrusted to my care. And then he shifts gears just a little bit. No one, no one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because like, by the way, you're his wife. But then the shocking unexpected, who, who does, you know, who, who does this kind of part of his response comes into play. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? It's like, wait, 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 Joseph. Are you talking about the same God 
The God that's responsible for, for, you know, your so impressive resume. Let's just look at that real quick, right? Joseph Jacobson, you've been kidnapped once and sold into slavery twice. Is this the God that, that, that you're remaining faithful to? Is this the God that, that hasn't done anything for you lately? Potiphar's wife is relentless. She comes back to him time and time and time again. Finally, not only does he resist, he refuses to even be in a room with her. Eventually she's offended and eventually she's shamed. And she accuses Joseph of doing the very thing he refused to do. She accuses him of trying to rape her. When Potiphar finds out, he has no choice but to throw Joseph in prison. Here's what our text says. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Now now think about this. I I know your circumstances are tough, but, but let me just put Joseph's circumstances into context for a minute. Joseph will pay for a crime he avoided because he avoided it. Think about that. He's going to pay for the very crime he avoided. And why? Why is he paying for it? Because he did the right thing, because he avoided it. Now he has has to update his resume, right? Joseph Jacobson, kidnapped once, sold twice, framed in prison. And and the point being that bad things happen are happening uh, to good people all the time. We're going to pick up from the story here next time. So please don't miss next time. But in the meantime, here's what I want you to do. In fact, here's what I want all of us to do. I want us to to wrestle with this question. On the surface, it's a bit of a terrifying question, but ultimately, it's a liberating question. And our question is this, how would someone in my circumstances respond? I know how other people react to these circumstances. I know what's, what's modeled for me. I know what's expected of me. But how would someone like Joseph, how would someone in my circumstances respond if they were confident that God was with them and that God was up to something, that there's something that God is up to that hinges on my response, that hinges on my decision not to react, but to respond as if God is with me? Again, your answer to this question is an invitation to exercise your superpower, your respondability. And I'm confident of this. Even though I don't know your story, your willingness to respond rather than to react is your best play. It's your best way forward. It is the way that lays the groundwork for God to do something unusual in your life, in your current circumstances. And if you'll act on this question, you will emerge better for it and you will not emerge bitter for it. Again, never underestimate, no matter what you're going through, never underestimate the power of a measured faith-filled response. You know this, we're no better than our responses, but Joseph's story illustrates the fact that we can be better because of our responses. So when it comes to the current circumstances that that we're all facing, when it comes to the circumstances that that are are individual for you, let's not simply get through this. Let's be better for it. Let me pray for you. Father, I I thank you, God, for for this incredible scripture, God. I, I thank you that we can learn so much from this story. God, God, that it is in our power to respond. God, to choose our response rather than to react maybe out of anger, maybe out of, out of frustration or out of bitterness, God, or, or out of angst, God, but that we could take a moment and we can breathe and we can respond, God, with a faith-filled response as if, as if you are right there with us, as if you have plans for whatever it is that we're going through. Lord, I, I know in this moment we find ourselves in the midst of a world filled with chaos, Lord, pandemic and, and, and race issues, God, and, and, and actions of, of violence and, and, and retaliation. And God, this world is full of so much hurt right now. I think we need to take a moment and ask ourselves, how does God want me to respond to this? What's my faith-filled response to the circumstances set before me? How would Joseph respond? to a circumstance like this? How could we respond 
as if God is with us and as if God is for us and as if God might have something good to bring out of us. Lord, we know you didn't bring this bad. We know you didn't bring this pandemic, but we also know that you can mean it and you can turn it for good in our life. And I pray you do that very thing. I pray you'd give us, God, the courage to look into our situation and the wisdom to choose our response rather than to react. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Journey, I love you. I really do pray you have a better week than you had last week. And I pray that every circumstance you face, every challenge that's before you, you will choose a measured response, a faith-filled response, that God is with you and that God is for you and that God might be up to something in the midst of whatever it is that you're currently dealing with. Have a great week. I'll see you next time.